0: Hey, welcome to the LifeHouse Newport News Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people, and we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. Y'all, Pastor John gave an amazing word last week. Was anybody here for it? Yes, right? He would appreciate that hand clap. And he talked about the Trinitarian love of God, right? That God is three in one, that we have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. And they are in constant community with each other in constant submission to one another. Constantly loving each other and that we are made in his image, therefore, that's how we should love. We should love each other well, just as the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father. And it was deep. It was powerful. And we want to follow up with this as we're talking about what is it like, what does it look like to love like Jesus? And it was so weird, but God brought me to this this place I didn't think he was going to bring me to, to start off, which is one of my favorite movies of all time called The Wiz. Has anybody seen The Wiz? Listen, The Wiz was so late. I remember I was young, and yeah, my parents put it on or whatever. They're like, this is The Wiz, son. We're going to watch it together. And it was actually a Broadway musical. Um, it's based off The Wizard of Oz, but it's an all-African-American cast. and They made a movie, and it's heavy hitters, man. Diana Ross... Was Dorothy? Who else was in it? MJ, right? MJ was in it, <laughs> like Michael Jackson was in it, doing his thing. Y'all remember? You can't win, can't break even. Y'all know that? Can't get out of the game. Yeah, y'all didn't see the ways. And then what else? There was uh, there was Lena Horne that was in it as well. It was an all-star cast, easing down the road. And the story is really interesting because Dorothy, Diana Ross. I think she was in New York, I think, Um, the small apartment, and she is so unhappy, right? She is like, I I just do not want to be here. I don't want to be home. There's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be something better out there for me out there. Like, we barely have enough. Like, this is crazy. I'm tired of these people. I want to go. So she runs out into this winter storm, and magic happens, and she gets transported to this magical land called Oz. Right. And she's freaking out. She's like, what in the world is this foreign place that I'm in? And there's all these creatures and and it gets intense even along the journey. Some people are trying to kill her. They're trying to take her out. And she goes through all this stuff. That's where she meets the scarecrow. Right. The Tin man, the Lion, And they're all helping her to try to get home. And she goes through this journey and she realized that where I was. Was better than what was out here. She has this revelation that, just like the original Dorothy with the red slippers, there's no place like home. I was better off at home. Out here is not what I expected. I don't know what this foreign place is. I would do anything just to get back to where I belong, back to home. And so at the end of the movie, it's my favorite song, one of my favorite songs in it. All the songs are dope. But it's one of my favorite songs where uh, she's like, it's the black screen or whatever, and Diana Ross, she's Dorothy, she's staring in the camera and it's, she's like crying, pouring out tears because she's gone through this journey and it's been hard and it's been crazy and she's missing home and she realizes I, that's the only place I'd rather be and I would be desperate to get back. And she finally finds a way to get back home and she sings these lyrics. She says, when I think of home, I think of a place where there's love overflowing. I wish I was home. I wish I was back there with the things I've been knowing. Maybe there's a chance for me to go back there now that I have some direction. It would sure be nice to be back home where there's love and affection. She realizes that I may not have had everything I wanted, but I definitely had everything I needed. And most of all, I had love that I took for granted. I had people around me in my life in my family that cared for me, where I had affection, where they were like, yo, Dorothy, I get it, but we in it together. And I took that for granted. I didn't realize how deeply I was loved until I left. And now I would do anything. Before, I would do anything to get out of this house, and now I'll do anything to get back to it where I had love and affection. And what's interesting is that Jesus was actually trying to tell us the same thing. In John chapter 15, we'll start at verse 9. It says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. And then it says what? Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And what's really interesting about the word remain, in some translations you actually see it says abide or to dwell. It has the same connotation as if somebody invited you to their house and said, come stay with me. Stay here. You don't have to stay over there. You don't got to get a hotel. We family. Stay here with me. And it's as if Jesus is saying, come stay with me and my father. Make this your home. It's like Jesus is saying to you and me, just come stay with me. I have everything you need. I am everything you need. You're not going to find it anywhere else. Just stay with me and my Father. Remain in my love. Abide here. Make your home here. Set up camp here. And you never have to leave. But we have a commitment problem, don't we? And I think this is where the issue is, is that we have a commitment problem. We are unfaithful by nature. And so when we hear something like, remain in my love, make your home here, it's hard because we don't like to stay home. We like to wander. We like to seek it elsewhere with other people and other things. We don't stick around, we're always looking for the next. We only want what feels good and we want it now. And it's so interesting to me that I always hear people, we're always praying for a new job, but I rarely hear someone praying for a new attitude, for a new character. And I'm speaking from experience for myself. I remember I was in a job and I was like, God, if you don't make a way in this next week, Okay? like It was crucial, and I was like, God, I need a new job. I need a new job. These people are crazy. My boss is crazy. This place is toxic. I need out. And I will never forget. I heard him say, I know you want a new job, but can I give you a new attitude? And I was like, first of all, I was super petty. I was not prepared. <laughs> that is not the prayer that I asked. I clearly asked for a new job. Right, like what's going on here? And yet he said, but can I give you a new attitude? Because what's the point of going into a new job and you have the same attitude? It's just hidden. What's the point of entering that new relationship but you still got that old stuff in you? It's just hidden. And what better opportunity to reflect who I am then when you're in a situation where you're probably justified to be frustrated and curse everybody out, but instead you choose to be patient and it doesn't make sense to the people around you. How are you so patient? You know our boss is crazy. It's easy when everything is, is easy. That's literally what the scripture says. Even the pagans know how to do that, to love people that love them back. What's the difference? It's when love is challenging where it shines the most, because it's clearly a choice at this point. I'm choosing to stay, but we have a commitment problem, because when it gets hard, we run, and we're unfaithful by nature. We're always looking for the next. I could prove it to you. We can go to Genesis 3, back in the beginning, right? God created this whole entire garden. We had a whole garden and a whole God that was full of everything that we needed. And he said, you can eat of any tree of the garden, have a feast, except for the one. It's always that one thing, isn't it? We're always left with that choice between our one God and the one thing. And so Adam and Eve, they see the fruit from the one tree and it says it looked good. For food, it looked good to eat, it looked good for wisdom, it was attractive to the eye. It was sexy, it was pleasing, it was shiny. And so they ate it and they disobeyed God's command, and from that sin entered the world, and from sin followed death. We can look at the story of Israel, right? So God's people. God's chosen people will go through this cycle of sin and repentance over and over and over and over and over again, right? So first they're worshiping, and let me know if this feels familiar. You don't have to say it, but you know what I'm saying? They're worshiping God, and then all of a sudden they have an idol. They have something else that looks like it's worth worshiping, right? So they follow that thing, and they start worshiping that idol. And God's like, oh, you tried it. So the next thing you know, they get captured by another nation. And now they're in bondage, and they're in slavery. And it's interesting, it's always in bondage when we start to cry out. And then they start crying out, Lord, we're oppressed. He's like, yeah, you are. (laughs) I believe that. We're oppressed. Help us, save us, rescue us, redeem your people. And they cry out. And it's interesting, I know God is like, it's funny because you were free when we started. But that's okay. So much I love you, I'll free you again. And So then he steps in and he frees them from the bondage that they put themselves in. And what do they do? Then they worship. Thank you, God. And they're grateful and they show their gratitude. And they come to third Wednesdays to the prayer and worship night. And they're at the altar in front of the prayer stations. And they're giving him everything until something else and someone else walks by again. And then they're like, yes, Lord, yeah, Hmm. oh, he's fine. Oh, she's thick. And then the cycle repeats itself over and over and over and over and over. We're unfaithful by nature. Paul said the same thing. Romans seven eighteen through 25 says, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I end up doing it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Have you ever felt even verse 22? I love God's law with all my heart. I do love Jesus, but there's this thing in me. There's another power within me that is at war, that's waging war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? We have a commitment problem. We're unfaithful by nature. My favorite hymn, one of my favorite hymns, is Come Thou Fount. Does anyone know that hymn? It's one of my favorites. And there's a, there's a stanza here that always sticks out to me, and it says this. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Lord, come tether my heart because I'm prone to walk away. We are prone to wander. Can anybody be honest today? I am. I like, I'm prone to wander. I have this proclivity to walk away from his presence. And ironically, I, I know I need to be there, but there's something in me that's prone to venture out, to explore for something that I already have right in front of me. James 1 says it like this in verse 14 and 15. Temptation comes from our own desires. We can't blame anybody else. It comes from our own desires which entice us And drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Sin is seductive. If it wasn't pretty, you wouldn't go for it. It's really attractive to try to get your point across. And to not be patient with someone. It's more sexy just to put them in their place. It feels better, doesn't it? What I said was... It feels better to get that out. It feels better to find a good finger to choose when that person (laughs) cuts you off. You're like, which one should I use today? (laughs) To let you know how I feel about what you just did. I'm trying to get to work. I'm already, you know, in a tizzy. I'm rushing and you want to go cut me off. It feels good to get that off. It feels good to give in to what my body's feeling. I can't put a stop to this thing. You know, I'm just a man. That's how we are. It feels good until it gives birth to death. And then you wonder why you're emotionally unstable, why you're mentally all over the place, why you feel spiritually disconnected. Because we wandered from home. And it's not that these things are bad things in and of themselves. Yes, like, go on indeed. Try to find a new job. Like, yes, absolutely. Some of us need cars to get to work. Like, these are not bad things. But when we make them the source and not recognize these are resources, and we think these things and these people are going to complete us and fulfill us, then we get left wanting and John warns us about that. In John 15, 11, this is, this is the consequence of our wandering. This is the why behind it. This is why he's saying, yeah, make sure you stay home. You don't want to be out there in these streets. And this is why. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Complete. That your joy may be complete. In some translations, it says Full till it overflows. It's the same thing as if I took a cup and I filled it up with water at the brim till it was overflowing. And what that lets me know is that if it's his joy that completes me, then anything outside of him I'm what? Incomplete. That's easy math. Anything outside of his presence, anything outside of his will, anything outside of his love for me will leave me incomplete. And so some of us are confused because we're walking around with a piece of joy, a piece of happiness, a piece of security, and so it keeps us disillusioned for a moment until you hit a situation and you realize, oh, I'm incomplete. I don't have enough, right? I don't have enough to sustain this. This person isn't enough to sustain my happiness. This job doesn't fulfill me the way I thought it would because I just had a piece of it. But in Jesus, we are fully complete. Is that good news to anybody? That in Jesus, we are fully complete. There's nothing lacking. There's nothing missing. There's nothing broken with his love. It is perfect, and it is full to the overflow. But the consequence of wandering outside of his love is that you will be left alone wanting, and you will keep walking around and venturing out, like you said, starving and tired and confused, not even sure of who you are, because outside of Jesus, he lets you know you can go out there if you want to, but you will be left incomplete. So what is the solution? Because I think, I wonder if we feel incomplete because we wander instead of remain. If you've ever felt yourself saying that, like, man, I just feel empty or I feel like something's missing. Is it possible it's because you've been wandering instead of remaining in this love? Instead of staying home? And so Jesus gives us the solution to this back in John 15, verse 10. And he makes it clear. He says, when you obey my commandments, you will what? Remain in my love. This is the how. This is how we stay home. This is how we stay tethered to him. This is how we stay connected. This is how we keep from wandering. Is by obeying his commandments. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I love that Jesus does not ask us to do anything that he has not done or is doing himself. And he says, just as I obey the Father and I remain in his love and I don't wander, then remain in my love and obey my commandments. And this is the thing, even when we hear that word commandments, there may be a lot that's packed with it. I kind of grew up in the church, and so even when I would hear messages like, you know, obedience or his commandments or his word, I don't know if you've ever felt this or feel this now, but it felt just like a list of don'ts. You know what I'm saying? Don't do this. Don't be this. Don't drink that. Don't sleep with her. Don't go to that party. Don't smoke that. Don't do that. And you're like, what can I do other than like go to church and stuff? Like, what, what can I do? But what you find, and what I found is that as I dig into his word, I see that it's really, that's not the heart. That's really not what it is, is this list of don'ts. But really, they are guardrails to protect me from the things I get hurt by when I'm outside of his will. That's the irony of it. They are principles to live by guidelines to give me direction, a standard to live up to. To measure everything else against. To be able to tell the difference and make a distinction between life and death. To make a distinction between what is true and what is a lie. To make a distinction between what is peace and what is chaos. So I can be able to identify a toxic relationship when I see it and when I'm in it. Because his word has already shown me how people are supposed to treat me. Think about it. When I'm in his word, he shows me the difference, and if I'm not there, I won't know. And so peace and chaos start to look the same. Lies start to look like truth. That's the whole point of his word. He's saying, I'm giving you what you need so that you can tell the difference between me and everybody else. That the sheep know the voice of the good shepherd and the voice of the stranger they won't follow. That we don't follow strange voices. And when I think of it that way, I want to obey his word. I want to know his word. I need to know his word. I'm desperate to know it, like the psalmist says. I have to know what your truth is. I have to know because I don't want to be caught in this craziness that the culture. Uh, tells me about, when they're trying to tell me who I am and what my identity should be, and now I'm confused. I don't want to be caught up. Life in and of itself has enough trouble. Jesus said that. Today has enough trouble of its own. So God forbid I'm walking through this, and I'm not walking in your commands or don't know them when I have the resources to have peace. I need it. And so in Psalm 1, we see the psalmist let us know the difference of someone who is tethered to him, who's remaining home, whose planted, versus who's out there looking crazy. It says, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Please stop taking advice from wicked people. I'm going to just throw that out there as a side note. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. If you didn't catch that, that means all day, right? Day and night, 24 7. There is no space where I'm not thinking about your word. There's no second of the day where I'm not sitting and wrestling with your truth. That I meditate on it. I got my worship music going, I got that podcast going. I'm hitting up my friends like, hey, can we meet at Grounded Coffee? And just kind of talk about this scripture. Like I'm in community. I'm joining a life group. I'm constantly in his presence, in his word. I'm going to youth group. Because there's not a space in my day where I don't want to be thinking about him. And what he has to say. Meditate on it day and night. And in verse 3 it says, They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither. And they prosper in all they do, but not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. So chaff is like if you have an ear of corn and you know that part on the end that you peel and you throw it away. He's saying that's what the wicked are like. You throw it away because they have no substance. There's no nutrients. There's nothing in it that has purpose. So you just throw it away. And God forbid we have all this word, but we walk around and and we're not people of substance. The word says that your conversations will be seasoned with salt. Can people tell that you've been feasting on his word? Is there substance in what you have to say? Do you bring clarity to a situation? Do you bring peace when you walk into that staff meeting? Do you shift the atmosphere something different? Do you give wise counsel? Is there substance? But you only get substance when you remain. It says, they will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Y'all were prone to wander. But one of my pet peeves is when people are like, oh, you know, we're just human. I'm just human. This is what we do. We're broken and we're falling. We're going to sin. And it is true that we're broken, and yet there's a scripture that makes that problematic because it says if anyone be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature, a new creation. You have a new identity. Behold, all things, old things have passed away. Old things have passed. That means it's dead. All things have become new. So stop resuscitating your sin nature. Because we have a new identity, a new creation That is subject or needs to be subject to the Spirit of God. And when you walk in step with the Spirit, when you walk in rhythm with the Spirit, He empowers you, says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power to live out who He's calling you to be. So it is not that, oh, we're just human. No, you are a human that is made in the image of God, that is being restored in His image, that is subject to the Spirit of God and to the authority of His Word. And so I put to death, therefore, the things of the flesh. I'm not listening to a dead man. So just because you tell me to go this way does not mean you have the power or authority to make me walk that way. We are giving power to a corpse. But it's until you recognize that, that I have a new identity in Christ. And I'm not saying, please hear me, I'm not saying it is easy. But it is not impossible because Jesus was fully God but he was fully and it's the same spirit that resurrected Jesus the word says is the same spirit that is in me yeah. it is not impossible he would not call you to an impossible task like that where i know this is the standard but i know you'll never meet it so i'll just keep forgiving it like that's not the purpose of forgiveness forgiveness is just that's okay you're training I'll clean you up, let's keep going. But we grow from glory to glory. But the only way you get that is if you remain. If you choose to stay home and let the Father tell you what kind of child you are. Is this good to anybody? Is this helpful to anybody so far? It's been snatching me back. I tell you that much. So what would motivate us to obey? Because the thing is, I'm going to just be real. It is very challenging at times, slash most times, to obey his commands. Right? They are not easy. I can see why he would say, pick up your cross, because it legit is a cross. There are ways that my sin nature is wired. There are things just in my personality that maybe is not sinful, but it's not always helpful. There's just thoughts that I have. Like if y'all were in my head, I'd have to tell you, come back another day because today (laughs) you don't want to hear what's going on. It's a little crucial. And it gets hard to obey what he's telling us to obey. It really is a cross. So what would motivate me to stay home when it would be easier sometimes to leave? What keeps us planted? What helps us to remain in God's love and not wander? And I believe we see the beautiful story. I don't know if you know the story of Hosea, but it is such a beautiful story. It's intense, (laughs) but it's beautiful. And it's been messing me up, it's been jacking me up all week. And when I revisited this story, I was like, yo, God, your love is really deep. Hosea was a prophet. And check out how the story starts. It is so wild. In Hosea 1-2, it says, When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through the prophet Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute. Can we just pause right there? I don't know if anybody's like engaged or dating or whatever. Can you imagine God looking at you and saying, Okay, you see that girl on the corner with the high heels and the lipstick with all the guys? Correct. Go, go ahead, put a ring on that. That's your wife. I mean, think, I think sometimes we don't get the gravity of the word. This ain't just a story. Imagine God coming to you and saying, go marry that prostitute. How would you respond to that? Do you, yes, Lord, I'm here. Like, what do you say to that? And then he says, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. Sit with that for a second. I don't know who this is for. Some of you have a prophetic call in your life, but you need to understand that when God calls you to speak and to do, it gets hard. I think we think that it's easy to follow the call of God, but when we look in Scripture at the thing, like we always, we want to be great, but we don't understand the sacrifice. We want the platform, but we don't understand that He's positioning you, not just giving you a position. And that the things that He calls us to do and to speak, it's a burden. It's hard. I don't know how I would have responded. And later we'll see that it's worth it, but I don't know who that's for. It's like you need to understand, you need to take the call seriously. It's not light what he calls us to do. But he always, he gives the reason why. He said this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Go and marry this prostitute. Make her your wife so that Israel can see what I feel when they step out on me. And they worship other gods. And for lack of better words, literally, I don't think we get the gravity. It's like we're whoring ourselves with all of these, at a spiritual level. Our soul is whoring itself with all of these other people and things. And I don't think we get the depth of that. It's not just, oh, I messed up today. I had a little fling. I had a little whatever. We stepped out on the Creator, we made Jesus a side check. a faithful God with a perfect love and what gets me about this too is then we get inside on how he feels it hurts him like he's not just sitting up in the throne mmm they cheated again but that's okay I'm holy I can take it he's literally like y'all don't understand it hurts every time you step out if that's happened to like if you've been in a relationship where the person was you know You may not like that. That crap hurts. So imagine how God is feeling when the people that he chose and he called by name want to be called by someone else. And we see that it's painful for him. It hurts his heart when we step out again and again and again. Have you ever felt that? It's like I gave you everything. Some of us have probably said that to somebody. I gave you everything. Am I hard to love? Like, what did I do wrong? I gave you my love. I gave you my time. I sacrificed X amount of years for you. How could you do this? And that's literally what God is saying. He's like, I've been nothing but good. What else do you want from me? Am I not enough? But what's so powerful is Hosea 3 says, then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again. And I don't know who this is for. You may be in a relationship, and I get it. It's hard. People change, amen, over time. And it's like, you are not the same person I met when we started this journey. And it make it difficult and complicated. But what if God is saying, go love her again? Go love him again. But Zay, you don't understand. My family is crazy. There's so much tension. We argue. There's so much division. I can't even stand them. We're at the point where they can't stand me. We just can't see eye to eye. And what if God is saying, I get it. Go love them again. Go love them again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover. And we have to understand God does not play when it comes to adultery. God does not play when it comes to divorce. And what's crazy is that this would have been a reason for divorce. He would have honored it by his word. Adultery is grounds for divorce. And yet God himself said, stay with her. Love her again. And the reason is this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. Even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them, I still love them. I still love you. God is saying that to you today. I still love you. Even though you backslid. Even though you're not perfect. Even though you turn to these other gods. Even though you put that relationship before me. I still love you. And I love you again and again and again and again and over and over. I will outlast your cycle. You may fall again. I'll pick you up again. And so Hosea does something powerful in verse 2. It says, so I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of, mine, of wine. You know, that was equivalent to what you would pay for a slave. And he goes back. And think about this. Who did he have to go to? He went to her pimps. Like he had to literally go back to the people she was with, to her pimps, and say, this is mine. I'm going to purchase her back, whatever it takes here, and took her back home. Then I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even me. And then verse 4, this shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or prince and without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But afterward, the people will return. And devote themselves to the Lord, their God, and to David's descendant, their king. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his goodness. And that is my prayer for us, that we would tremble in awe at the goodness of God. That, God, I understand that I've been so faithful. You still show up right on time. You still forgive me. You still redeem me of my sins. And that we would be in awe of that. That is literally what worship is, is just being in awe. That, God, you would even want anything from me. That you still call me. That you still pursue me. That you still chase after me. That you would go to the place that I left you at and find me there and rescue me and bring me back home. And say, you're mine. My prayer is that we would be in awe and trembling awe and reverence of a God that could be that faithful. And this is the gospel, y'all. This is the gospel that a faithful God would remain with an unfaithful people until they learn how to remain with him. That a faithful God who doesn't owe us a thing would be faithful to such an unfaithful people Until they learn how to be like him and stay home. That even when they wander, he's patient. Scripture literally says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And somebody needs to hear that today. God is not harsh with you, he's harsh with sin. He doesn't play, he has wrath when it comes to that. But with you, his child, he is gentle and he is loving. He disciplines those that he loves. He prunes those that he loves so they can bear more fruit, so they can bear more evidence that they are his children, that they are his disciples. Psalms 103 says that in our young adult group on Thursday. I don't know if we got the young adults in the house, but we, yes. But we talked about that this past Thursday in Psalm 103, that God is compassionate and merciful. He's not quick to accuse. He's gentle and he's loving and he's kind. And it's his kindness that leads me to want to turn the other way and run back home. When I think about the fact that I deserve the smoke, like I deserve the heat, and yet he responds in gentleness and says, I still love you and I will love you over and over and over and over until you get it. I will love you over and over until you get it. I'm not going anywhere. His love is so stubborn. He has this stubborn, relentless love. That even when I quit, he's like, I'm not done. And I'll sit here with you until you're ready, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Somebody needs to hear that. He's not going anywhere. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting, he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you just to come back home. Just like the prodigal son who thought, it's better out there. I'm tired of being in my father's house. So he took his father's inheritance and he just went out and he just partied. And he got lit. He lived his life. He thought he was living his best life until he ran out of everything. He ran out of money. He ran out of friends. He ran out of companion. He ran out of hope. And now he finds himself eating pig slop when he had full course meals at his father's house. And it says when he came home, he he came back to his senses. And I feel that in the spirit for somebody. It's time for you to come back to your senses. Sober up. Come back to your senses. And realize what you had, that there's no place like, oh, I need you to click your heels three times and do what you got to do and go home. But it says when the father looked that means he had been waiting the whole time. If he could see that the sun was coming, he was standing at the window every day. And when he saw him, he came, it says the Father came running out, running out to meet the Son. He came running. You don't understand how desperately God is waiting for you to let him be your God. That he's running after you. He's chasing after you. And I think it's amazing to me when I think about all the beautiful things. It's like Pastor Christian talked about with space and the stars and the planets. And I think of the trees and the vegetation and how the water stops at a certain point and goes back. Like, who does that? And the beauty of the moon and the beauty of people and the different shades of skin that we have in our cultures. And I'm like, all of this and yet we're the crown of your creation. Because we're the only part of creation where he said, let us make man in our image. Gives a whole other meaning to being part of the kingdom of God. It's interesting in nature, it's called kingdoms, right? An animal kingdom. And yet we are part of the kingdom of God, we're part of the family of God. We have his nature, we have his image. When he looks at a tree, he sees a tree. When he looks at a star, he sees a star. But when he looks at you, he sees himself. He doesn't see an elephant. He doesn't see a wave. He looks at you, and he sees himself. Broken as we may be confused as we may be. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died in the midst of me looking and sounding and acting crazy. He didn't wait. He said, I love you now. Because when he looked, he saw himself. He saw his image. And it was worth buying back. Is this good news to anybody today? (laughs) You were worth buying back. Some things aren't worth it, but you were. So, what are your next steps? What are your next steps to receive this love? Maybe that's what it is. You're like, I didn't know this is what I needed, but I found out today this is exactly what my soul has been looking for. I need Jesus, I don't know everything about him but I want to, I want to learn more about him. If if this really is true and he really is God and he really does love me, and he really is pursuing me, I want that. I want that type of love. I want that type of love. I've never had that before. And I've been looking for it. That today is your day. Do not wait. I'm so glad the day that I went in my mom's room and I said, mom, I want to receive Jesus. I'm so glad that she led me in that prayer because it changed my life. It changed my life. And so we want to invite you into that today. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at LifeHouseNN.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us online next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at lifehouseonline.com or in person for a live worship service at 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. at the Kiln Creek Regal Theater in Newport News, Virginia. Visit LifeHouseNN.com for more information or to RSVP for a live service.